everybody at home. Uh, welcome to um, Our Voices, Our Town. This is a new series that the Rao is uh, going to be doing over the year. I think, uh, I think there was going to be like a dozen interviews that we're going to do. This is uh, to take place because we can't have people in this uh, beautiful theater. And uh, they asked me to do the first one here. I'm John DeCause, the curator of Lucy's Cafe, which basically means I'm the one who uh, books the uh, comics into the show. And uh, we're going to start it off with uh, a comedian that I've known for a long time. And uh, it's always interesting to me. I, people ask me, you know, who are the best comics in Chicago? And I can give you the list. I can give you the list. But uh, this gentleman, probably not only the best in Chicago, but one of the best I've ever seen in this country. And he's going to be embarrassed about that, but it's the truth. Um, uh, you know, he's one of those comics... Uh, and he, he's been on this stage, the main stage, he's done Lucy's as well. Uh, you know, he's one of those comics where other comics, including myself, watch him and go, why am I doing this? What, why, why do I continue to try to do stand-up comedy? That's, that's how good he is. The list of credits, uh, HBO, uh, Showtime, Comedy Central, one of the finalists for Last Comic Standing. I think, I think his... Uh, He's got a, a set at the dry bar. I, I think we're talking seven, eight million people have watched this. This is how good he is. And I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this, but if we had a, uh, a baseball fantasy draft and it was of comics, I think that uh, my guest here would be the first one I chose, Mr. Kevin Bozeman. Kevin? Uh, thank you, man. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You know, the beauty of Chicago comedy is there's so many great, diverse comics that's out there that's come out. I mean, you mentioned Damon Williams, Christian Toomey, obviously Pat McGann, uh, um, Sean Flannery, uh, Tanisha Rice. I mean, there's so many yeah. great Chicago comics. And then you don't even think about the ones that's left. Yes. Right? <laughs> there's so many great right. comics that was in Chicago that's just gone off to, I don't even know, I mean, I guess you can call it greener pastures, but just to be in, in the mix with those Chicago comics, I just, I just think it's, if you are, have any skill set at all in Chicago and you love comedy, it's hard not to get better in Chicago because the scene forces you to either grow or get out. Uh, I agree. Right? I, yeah, totally agree. Because there's just, and there's so many, and just when you think, all right, here I come, and it's just a whole new group of young comics that come in. Yep. And then you're just like, you're the sheriff almost, and you just like got to protect your turf. And you're like, well, I like put my badge on and then my, my belt because there's some new up-and-comers that's, that's fighting for your stage time, right? Because yeah. if you don't, you don't write and you don't progress, why are they going to keep booking you? No, that's true. That's true. I, I couldn't agree more. Let's let's go back to this. So I, you know, uh, I'm what year 38 of this for me. Going back to you, you started in the late 90s. Let's give us some history there. How you got into it? You were in college, Whitewater. Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah, I went to to Wisconsin Whitewater. or played uh, played basketball there, and then afterwards, you know, it's funny. Me and my roommate in college, we would watch Deaf Comedy Jam. Okay. 
and we would watch Def Comedy Jam. And I used to watch and I would just be like, man, I could do that. And then he was like, just stop saying you can do it and do it. <laughs> and so I started going to the open mics and it's so different back then. There was, there was a, a open mic in Madison, Wisconsin and one in Milwaukee. And I lived right in between. And it was Wednesday night, both. That was it. That's it. That's it. That's all the mics wow. that I had. So I would either go, I would go to Madison one week, Milwaukee the next. Madison one week, Milwaukee the next. And I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing stand-up at open mics until I got booked. When I got booked, <laughs> when I got my first MC date, is when I told people, hey, guess what? I'm doing stand-up. How much time were you doing at these open mics? Oh, open mics, five minutes. Okay. Not, not a lot, five minutes. I was getting five minutes a week to just try to craft, craft a set. And then I just I worked and I wrote and then I recorded myself on one of those big things with the little cassette tape, <laughs> yes. you know, the, yep. the, the, yep. and then I would play it back on the way back and just be like, that's good, that's not good, that's, that's good, that's not good. I was transcribed which, you know, some people in this theater know what I mean. I transcribe, I would write out my set and everything and okay. write it and say it out loud. I did, I was so fascinated with the process of trying to create material. It was, it was, it was, it was such a, people always, it was such an innocent time. It was, it really was such no, I would agree. innocence. Yeah. Like just, I never thought I would do it for a career. I just, Wanted to try it. Once I tried it, I wanted to get good at it. And then once I got good at it, I was like, um, I don't see any reason to do anything else in life besides this. Um, going back to that, uh, who were your, I always like to ask this, who were your like, major influences? Who, who did you look at and try to emulate when you got on stage? Oh, man. I think I was influenced. I was so young and wide-eyed, like everyone that was, anyone that was good influenced me at the time until I saw it was better. So there's no real rhyme or reason. Like I said, I started out watching Def Comedy Jam and I loved it, it was my favorite. But anybody that's seen my act would know that I'm not a Def Jam <laughs> comedy act. Correct. But I loved it. I loved it and I wanted to do it and then I found out you know, just when you're going up, just trying to, I think the main thing is just trying to find your voice and find your lane and getting down your timing and delivery. And that makes writing easier. So when yes. you get your timing and delivery, because you know the rhythm of your, your act and you know how to write to that. Could not agree more. To that rhythm. So that was all that process. So everyone, I mean... Seinfeld, Chappelle, Chris Rock, they, they're all of them. But then it was like when I started opening and, cause I was never in comedy clubs until I started doing it. I never. Oh, that's interesting. So okay. I didn't even know anything about it. Like the first time I did a set, I left because I was like, well, I don't have money to pay to stick around and watch the show, <laughs> so I'm out. So right. I left, I didn't even know, that's how little I knew. So every, comic that I watched that I thought was good had an influence on me. And I was like, I'm going to be more like that. I'm going to be more like that. And then, you know, you, you figure it out and you feel like you got to be you. So the reason, one of the main, you know, we chose you for this first interview, one, because uh, the row is very, they know you, okay? Mm -hmm. 
and you're one of their and favorites. I know the route. Yes, yes. I know all of you people. I got your addresses, your social security numbers, and I oh, will I, be showing up for my I was my not aware weekly. of that. I was not aware of that. Oh, you didn't know? You didn't get no, that info? No, all right, that, cool. Okay, that may change the questions. It should. Um, it should change the questions. But one of the reasons that we, we're, it's important that we John get- John DeCoste, and this is uh, a person of interest here at the Row. That's so true. <laughs> but, but this is good because we're going to take advantage of this. Uh, you know, this year, it's, it's been a crazy year. I mean, it, we'd have to probably go back to the 60s with all of this, the racism in America. And it's sort of like the, the stone has been uh, overturned and we've looked at this and it's a lot of creepy crawlies coming out. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I want, I want to get your perspective. Let's go back. First of all, let's go back farther than that. Um, you know, you, you have always been a black man, you know, um, so you're dealing with different things very quickly. Go back to your mom and dad. What, you know, how, uh, how did they prepare you or what were some of the things they told you to prepare what you might have to face? Well, I, I have such, such a big family. Like I'm the youngest of 10. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. I come from a giant, uh, a giant family, the youngest ten. My mother worked third shift at like a hood restaurant on 87th and Stony Island. Okay. It was called uh, Queen of the Sea, but they served no seafood. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> good. <laughs> and my father was, uh, was a butcher. Remember the old A&Ps? Yeah. He was a butcher at the AMPs, then he moved over to the food market. And so they were just grinders. Like they like that's if there's anything that they instilled in us, it was just how to grind. But also they always taught us just how to talk to people. Okay. We were always um, outgoing sort of family. We always were comfortable with all walks of life. And they never, I can't point to any real conversation about it. It was just instilled. Like we saw how they were in front of different groups of people and we naturally emulated because you think, take, you take so much from your parents that you don't even realize. Well, correct. And correct. so, and it was, it was that. Uh, most of us went straight from high school into a trade. Me and my brother that's closest in age, the two youngest, we were the ones that went, went off to college. Okay. And so, um, but yeah, we all prepared. Like we had a police officer, a fireman. We have a, a, a pastor. We have someone who's in food and beverage. It's just all walks of life that we went, went in. And so I think all of those things factored into to where, to who I am. You know, I think of, from, from my perspective, um, I have opened for, you know, Eddie Griffin, Aries Spears, uh, mm. you know, uh, where I know the audience is going to, they're like 95% African-American. Yeah. So you're starting out, you go in and you're beginning to do stand-up. Yeah. I am assuming that the majority of the people that you are playing in front of are white. Ah, at the very beginning it was. And then when I started getting work, I was put more in, in black rooms, urban rooms. Did that bother you? No. Okay. 
Okay. Have a microphone, we'll travel. That's my rule. <laughs> I, I just, I, like, you have a microphone? Are there people there? Let's go. That's the name of his new sitcom, by the way. Have That's a microphone, we'll travel, yeah. Um, you're playing, you, you start off, and obviously you hadn't found your voice. Correct. You're trying to evolve. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, what are some, uh, like, can you remember specific instances where you had to deal where it like punched you in the face, like racism is, yeah. wow, I gotta, I gotta yeah. do this. That's great. Uh, Davenport Funny Bone, Iowa, I was hosting. Okay. I was in my f first year of hosting, traveling, and uh, the room is packed, the show is packed, and it's there's ba basically an all white room and someone screams out, speak up inward from all the way in the back. And that, uh, I, I knew something, with, I couldn't hear really what was said, because I would have stopped the show and addressed it, but I knew it was something weird because the crowd got really uneasy. Okay. And uh, she was removed from the show and the whole group was removed. And I was like, I don't know what was said, but then people afterwards told me, it was like, everybody's coming up, I'm sorry. One woman came up crying. Okay. Like, this is not Davenport, Iowa. And I was like, it is Davenport, <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> I hate to tell you this. Right? Yeah. And, uh, but come to find out this woman, because they ended up making a newspaper and come to find out she was in charge of the minority program at her job. So that sure. was like one of the one of the first times it was just like, all right. But I think, you know, you don't like to see things like that. But I always say that's that's the beauty of live shows is that you just don't know what you're going to get. And you just have to be prepared. You yeah. just have to be prepared. And some, and that's where a lot of times comics get tripped up. There are some amazing writers, some people that's so funny, but being live on stage and having to deal with a constant barrage of curveballs. Because if you think about it, and you know this, is stand-up, it is the most unnatural thing because you are tricking the audience and they think you're having a conversation with them. Correct. And you know, they're, they're saying nothing. And also, the club is saying, we want you to get as drunk as possible, yes. but behave. <laughs> right. So you have, so that's the balancing act. You're engaging in this crowd, and they're feeling comfortable with you a lot of times, and they feel like they're your friends. And what do you want to do with your friends? You want to talk to your friends, yes. especially when you're drunk. And then you have to find that balancing act of performing in front of a live audience and getting them to be quiet and stay in touch, but also please continue drinking. Right. <laughs> drink, drink, drink. Right, no, no question about it. Yeah. Um, your material, when you started out, uh, did you touch on, uh, was it, uh, what percentage of your act was, hey, I'm black? Oh, and so when I first started out, like I, like, I can't listen to my first album right now. I can't. It's called, my first album is called My First CD. That's the one I put out. And uh, uh, you, could, you could see, like, some of the makings of what I'm going to become, but then you can also see, like, I was just writing what I thought was funny, things that was funny, but I wasn't okay. coming from a place of realness in that, like, you know, right? Maybe I'll write about my experience with Taco Bell or like things like that, not where now the dynamic of being a father and traveling, having deeper takes. 
So all my takes were real surface. Right. A lot of it was, you know, black and white, being black versus white and, you know, eating at restaurants. It was all okay. surface. It okay. was all surface. It wasn't, you know, because I hadn't found my voice. Correct. Right. So all of those yeah. things were, when I wrote about it, was, it was, I'm not saying it wasn't funny. It was just all surface funny. And so I think surface funny is hard to... Um, when you look back on it, doesn't doesn't hold as well because right. it's, it's surface. You just scrape that off. But when it's deeply funny, twenty years later, it can still be funny because it's deep rooted in something. Right. It's deeply right. rooted in whatever it is your belief is, but it's it's there and it will stand the test of time because it's deeply rooted in a foundation of of something. I think about, you know, my thoughts is a comedian. If I had a bad set, or it would stick with me, or it was a bad town, it would stick with me, whatever. But your, your situation, you have to deal with that. And then you're also dealing with, I mean, probably more racist, racism back then, even in the late 90s, than it is today, although the mm -hmm. last year. Um, it's like a PTSD, isn't it? I mean, how do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with it that night? Are you done with it? Can you just fluff it off? Can or? I? Uh, sometimes some things will stick, stay with me a little bit longer than okay. they should. But I, I kind of like having a little bit of edge, a little bit of anger, a little bit of uncomfortableness. Like, you know, it just, it just, it's just a reminder. Right. It's just a reminder of how life is. Like, I mean, you know, you've been talking about all these things that's going on. Uh, and this might be controversial, but I don't like it because four people passed during this whole the Capitol riots that Correct. just happened. Yeah. Four people that passed. Yeah. But for me, this whole last four years, besides the 350,000 plus COVID deaths and the four deaths there, it's been great in some ways because a lot of my friends especially my white friends, get to see the America that I always thought it was. Okay. Okay. Right? I always thought it was. That's, this is the country that I've been saying, hey, this is a reality. And people are like, no, it's great if you work hard and do this and do that. Everyone, it, that doesn't exist. And then it's like, mm. <laughs> you still think that when some people do, and that's, that's fine, but a lot of people have been awakened. It's just like, you know, the matrix, which pill are you gonna take? No, I, I, I could not agree more. I've, you know, um, my background, I, I, I grew up, I was the only, in a Maywood, Illinois, which is predominantly African-American. It was, yeah. I was the only white kid in my grade school. Yeah. I'm sorry, my white boy in my uh, graduating class. And I, Dwayne Kennedy, a good friend of ours, another yeah. very funny stand-up comic. But I told him, as Anthony Griffin as well, I told them, I totally agree with you. This year has brought that to the forefront. I used to, th how dare I think I understand because I think I grew up that way. Right. I, if I'm not in your shoes, I don't know. Right. I don't know. So it's the same thing. Well, it's the same thing when like you're trying to tell women how they should respond to all the sexual harassment. And granted, like, listen, I have been sexually harassed a bunch 
by women, but I don't lose sleep over it. I'm like, yeah, I was sexually harassed by women. I need to clarify that I have not. <laughs> so let's just clarify that. Like, so I know just, thinking, you know, so. just like in bars and people are drunk and they say yes. inappropriate things to yeah. me. That's, that doesn't, like, I hear that and I'm not like, bother or feel my life is threatened or something is ba bad about to happen to me. So I know it's out there, but I don't try to say, well, this is what, how you got to do it. And it's so weird that people love to give suggestions yes. about things that they never have to go through. Yes. It's so weird how people, how strongly opinionated people are about things they never they have to go through. Know. It's crazy. It that's is a fact. crazy. So. But that's that's just the that's just life. Uh, early on, any uh, I mean, take it to the next level. Any physical, uh, you know, where it's this got a little too far. This got no, a little too far. No, no. I, I mean, bef right before the pandemic hit in January, a dude tried to uh, come up and attack me. But that was that wasn't race or anything. He was drunk and he was trying to be a part of the show. And uh, I have a rule in my stand-up is you're not a part of the show. <laughs> That's the rule. You're not a part of the show. That's it. And so he kept trying to be in. And I, I mean, I stopped the show and just focused on him. And then when I put the focus on him, he didn't like it. And then uh, he tried to come up on stage. It was great. It was great. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting. I'm fascinated by that because, what are you, 6'5"? Yeah. But people don't see that. People don't see that I'm 6'5", and uh, like Obi-Wan Kenobi versus uh, uh, Luke uh, versus Darth Vader, I right. have the high ground. <clears throat> yes. I have the high yes. ground. So you're coming yes. to me. Yeah, you're on I stage have, as well. Right. right. I'm on stage. I have a mic stand, a microphone, and you're coming up to me. So if there's any real threat. But then did you ever see that video where a guy attacked Another guy, and he was throwing chairs. He pulled a knife yes. up. Right. Yes. And I was that. I would never okay. want to be a part of that. Okay. That is f scary. <laughs> I would not want to be where I'm performing, and someone is so upset with you that they are about to try to kill you. People don't like to talk about race. I have to talk about race. My kids are mixed, but my son identifies as black, raging black. It's hilarious. You should see a Snapchat icon. It's like a really, really dark dude. I'm like, hey, man, when did you become a refugee? He's like, I identify as black dad. Then I show a video of him dancing to remind him that he's mixed. <laughs> you see how you're missing the beats right there? That's because your mom's white. Lighten up the photo. So you're evolving. You're evolving. You started late 90s? 99. 99. Time, yep. So you're evolving, uh, and like you said, you're materialist, surface-based. At what point do you make the change or go, or do you ever say, you know what, I've got a little agenda here. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna educate these people on I, what it is to, you know, to I, be black. Not, not, so my thing necessarily isn't, I don't like to be on a soapbox okay. when it comes to that. I don't want to sit there and be preachy. I tried everything I say even if there's a message in it, it's gotta be funny. Oh, It's yes. always has to be funny. And then there's clever ways I can bring things out that's happening in my world. Then that's what I try to do. 
But uh, I would say after I wrote like my first album and came out my first album, I probably sat on it for like four years. Where okay. I was like, that's it. I got an hour and I'm traveling with it. I'm having fun. I'm getting work. And then I found that uh, it was just getting really boring. Okay. It was getting really boring. And then the jokes I was writing just wasn't sitting well with me. So I just knew that I had more to say. Okay. On stage. Oh, that's good. So then that was that was the, the turning point, was just realizing, come on, man, you want to be... You want to be really good at it? Not, not where people talk about me. That was never like, yo, you want people to talk? It was like, you want to be able to feel good about what you are doing. Correct. Period. Which is, right. which is always, I think, the key for being happy in life is uh, being self-aware and being happy with who you are and what you're contributing. And then everything else takes care of its place. Uh, itself. So I was like, yo, what are you, what are you, you just going to write about being drunk or I write about eating at a restaurant or, you know, talk about some real stuff, some things that people had to start maybe would leave and be like, that was funny, but he also made me think about where I'm at. And I think the first time I started doing that was when I started talking about the whole concept of relationships and marriage and everything. Cause I'd never been married. I have okay. three kids, but I never, we never got married. And I thought, you know, and everybody's always like, why aren't you married? And I was like, dude, I've seen marriage. I seen what it does. And I know who, who I am and what I'm capable of doing. <clears throat> and so I wrote all of these things about marriage and just all the different angles of what I thought. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but it's what I right. thought. And so when, if you believe it, it's easier to sell it. And so that was like one of the first times when I started. And then it started being a parent and then it started being more social and all of those things. But it started with my take on marriage, which let me know you can go really deep on things. Right. It's the surface, right. but there's just levels of it you can go to. And that's, I think that, that was opened up my Pandora's box, so to say. I learned this, I learned this, I learned that the uh, family that I have is not the family that I want for a pandemic. <laughs> like I love my family, but the family was successful because it was built on me leaving every week. <laughs> but now that I'm here every day, I realize I have the wrong family. <laughs> like I love my family for four days. The other three days is a struggle. You guys know that, right? I have three kids. I just, I have three kids. I'll be honest with you. 17, 15, and two. I know, right? Everybody's like, why'd you have another kid? Yeah, I looked at my other two kids. was like, I can do better. <laughs> have you never looked at kids like, this is the best I can do? I need another kid. One more shot, God. I can do it. I have one kid that's 6'6", six, six, can't dribble with his left hand, another kid playing soccer, fail, fail. <laughs> you think I had you to watch soccer my entire life? Get your shit together. I tell him that too, I take him to his games like, you better give me three goals or else you're not gonna eat. <laughs> you know how hard it is to get three goals? Not as hard as it is to watch this. 
I drank four Red Bulls so I wouldn't fall asleep standing up. Give me some goals. Soccer is the worst. Soccer is what you play is when you fail to accept that you're not an athlete. Mm, sorry, I forgot about the big soccer program in Crystal Lake. I forgot that you guys were cranking out Chicago fire players left and right. Sorry. No offense. You know, we talked about the audience reacting to you and having to deal with this. People assume that comedians are very supportive, like we're in this club together. We both know that's not 100% true. <laughs> but have you, you know, it's one thing to deal with the audience that night. Have you had to deal with it with club owners and, and bookers and more, even worse, other comedians without naming names with the, you know, that have been just outright racist to you? More so bookers where it's just clear and obvious a different set of rules. Oh, yeah. There's clear and obvious a different set of rules. I remember when I started co-headlining, I was working, I was working a club in Milwaukee, and uh, there was a, a guy, white guy from New York, a funny dude. Him and I got along great, and we were switching off. And this guy was, I mean, he worked blue. For those you don't know, blue like really aggressive language bad words in every sentence, setups, punchlines, everything. It was just dirty. And the owner of the club is cracking up, just <laughs> loving it. And I thought it was funny, too. I didn't care right. what he did in front right. of me. And then before I go on, he's like, hey, keep it clean. We got a lot of older couples in there. And I was like, what the f What are we watching? I just thought, oh, he's going to talk to this comic and tell him, hey, man, that was funny, but don't do that anymore. Okay. That's acceptable. Right. Right? Hey, that was great, but just so you know, I told Bozeman to keep it clean. You need to keep it clean. We don't have that. Right. No. <laughs> oh, man. This was this guy's act the whole week, and the whole time he told me to keep it clean. And I was just like, this is super weird. And wow. then there's been times where, you know, and I, I don't think it's just a color thing where it's just been, sometimes club owners, they just, they, they say things to you in a certain way. And it's just like, look, man, I'm here working at your club. Thank you. But I'm still a grown man. Correct. Please do not talk to me that way. And there's times where I've been lowballed on money and stuff where I found out that other people of different nationalities got more. Okay. But yeah. Overall, I wouldn't say that my experience has been uh, overwhelmingly bad as far as race goes. But I, I do know in the big scheme of things, like even when I did Last Comic Standing or whatever, shows like that, it's, a, it's still a reality show. And so I know that when I'm trying to get on those shows, I'm really only fighting for just a couple of spots. You know, a right. national TV show, it's going to be majority white people. Right now, I think they're, they're trying to change that. But at the time, it was like majority white people and then one or two black people are fighting for the final 10 yeah. spots. You know, it's never, it's never six black people and four white people. <laughs> right, never. right, right. So you're not, so you are, know that you were fighting for one or two spots and that's 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 just 
a given. I know Greg Anthony, um, yeah. who played for UNLV and right. analysts, he said something that, you know, his grandmother told him, was just like, the game is rigged against you. You just got to be better. That's it. Okay. You just got to be, like, you know, if you, once you know the rules of the game, when you decide to play it, you know the rules. You just, I, I have to be good. That's it. I can't. I have to assume that if all things are equal, I'm the one that's getting passed by. And it's so weird now because I hear white people complain about that all the time, about affirmative action. Like, you know, it's, it sucks to be a white guy right now. Okay. <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay. Where's my it's, violin? It's let quite me, a, it's Let hard. me get my violin out. Yes. Like, I, I yeah. hear them saying, like, you know, if I'm qualified, they're going to give it to someone else because they need to have. I go, imagine that being our entire life yeah. and you're still going to be fine. There's somebody else that's going to, like that's been the entire fight of, of what was going through is like they had to create affirmative action because we were getting bypassed and now you're complaining because you think, oh, everyone's up against white guy. No, it's just more of a leveling of the playing field they're Correct. trying to, and I don't think it's even remotely close to level. Oh, I would agree. I, I, I don't think it's agree. remotely close to level. But also, I think one of the biggest problems that I have that's an underlying thing in society, and I see it happen with all sorts of comics, politics, athletes, regular people, is when black people do get something, we have to seem like the most appreciative if we don't oh. if we're not like thank you thank you thank you thank you it's just like i i i give you two examples one um tara owens mm -hmm. <clears throat> hall of famer correct right? uh he didn't get into the hall of fame the first time and i get that they like the way he act but then they didn't put him in the second time and i was just like okay how he was Second in receptions, second in touchdowns, second all-time in yards. Right. And you're like, nah, I don't, I don't see it. And the reason why that was was because he was so outspoken. Correct. And it was just like, no, you do not get to be famous and make money and be outspoken. We are going right. to punish you right. for that. Right. And also I had a, a, a conversation about the presidency, and, and he was a Republican, and he was like, he didn't like uh, Obama because he thought Obama was arrogant. And then I was like, but you didn't see that with Trump? And he was like, no, nah, I didn't see it. <laughs> I was just like, I'm not even talking policies. I am not even talking policies or party or anything. This is just the human being. And there were so many people that didn't like the president because he was arrogant. And it was just like, you're a, a black dude that's successful, you better sh every chance you get. And that's why everyone loved Sammy Sosa and everyone hated Barry Bonds. Cause Sammy Sosa was like, I'm very, <clears throat> very good. He played yes. that role, baseball, very, very good yes. to me. I'm so happy. And I'm like, we love Sammy. 
And Barry Bonds was a big F you, this and yeah. that. And they were like, right? Yes. Because everyone knew Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa was doing steroids, and they were letting it go. Yes. But then right. when Barry Bonds came, and then he ended up crushing, and then he was still showing disrespect, everybody was like, you cheater. And then they brought everyone down because Barry Bonds just wasn't playing the role. And it's just I, you, you have to be um, – some sort of graciousness to, to, and I found that out even with stand-up. It's just like, I got in with a club, I did well, and then I thought he was gonna bring me back, and then the club was just like, well, you didn't say, you know, you didn't say thank you for bringing it in. So, and I was just like, what are we doing? (laughs) We're all making money. You're holding me for not writing up a follow-up email or a club that I was working and I was doing well at, and I was like, hey, maybe you should move up a headliner. And then guy was just like, you know, he just didn't seem happy with what I was giving him. Yeah, I'm happy with what I'm giving him, but like, why wouldn't I want to headline? Why shouldn't I ask you to headline? And you could just say to me, Bozeman, I love you. I can't headline you yet, but your time will come. And we're good. Done. And we are good. Yeah. But I got to find this 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 tightrope situation of how to be uh, assertive but yet fragile enough to show like, hey man, I appreciate everything. And I'm sure this happens with all walks of life. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like it's more prevalent in the community. I would say the double standards are ridiculous. Right. That, you know, um, Dave Chappelle stopped doing his show mm-hmm. because he thought he was, uh, you know, feeding into that stereotypical, actually hurting uh, the, the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in your circle, you know, it's like not comics in general, but, you know, African-American comics, do, do you worry about that? Or do you look at other comics and mm-hmm. go, man... I wish you wouldn't do that. Yeah, okay. I do. I won't name names. Okay, no, and I don't, no, I we don't have to I do that, name, but yeah. I won't name names, but there's, but I think a lot of times, but that's true for all groups except for white guys. <laughs> I know that sounds, I've seen, hear me out on this, I've seen Asian comics play into the Asian stereotype, and I'm like, that's just not, that's just not a good look long-term for you. I've seen women play up, yeah. you know, the, the whatever bad characteristic you might associate with a woman, they play into that. I'm just like, that's just, like, if you want, you want laughs or you, or you trying to, you know, you just trying to get laughs or you trying to be something, is that who you are? And I've certainly seen it with black comics where they do jokes and I'm just like, don't, good Lord, <laughs> don't. Don't do it. And to an extent, I would say this. Now, uh, I see a lot of young white progressive comics apologizing almost on stage sometimes for being white. And I'm like, don't. Oh, yeah. Don't. Good point. Don't. Don't. Do not apologize ever for how you were born. You can apologize for all your personality and character traits, right. of course, but right. do not apologize ever for the way you 
look. Just don't. Don't. Just don't. Because that's no, not that's good. Right. But you can apologize for all sorts of things and you can make fun of all sorts of things. But don't ever do that. But so, yeah. So now I just started to see that with the young white comics of apologizing for being this white comic in this world that they like. No, just yeah. don't. Just, just do your thing. Do your thing without. Yeah. You talked about this year because it made people more conscious of what you have been dealing with. You know, every every most actually most black people have to deal with on a on a daily basis. You know, you have George Floyd and uh, Breonna Taylor; these horrible things that have happened. Mm -hmm. um, what has has it become? Is it better today than it was 20 years ago when you started doing comedy? In what way? Racism. Do you see it improving? Do you see, or have we taken a step back? In some ways we move forward, in some ways we've taken side steps, and in some ways we've we've gone we've gone back. I mean, it's never good when I have to explain to people why telling a group of white supremacists to stand down and stand by. Like anytime a a president of the United States flirts with um, white nationalists, like that's ground zero for me. I don't care what your policies are. If you flirt with them, that I will, you'll never get my vote. But yet, he got 75 million votes. So I like to be a, I like to be a, a solutionist. To everything. Okay. I like to find solutions as to why I can be so put off by something and 75 million people, even the black community is still like, that's my guy. And I believe that the reason this will never get away, it's going to be really hard to get eradicate uh, racism in this country. It's just, it's just normal. It's normalcy in this country. And so even though it's bad, it's just like, you know, I can't tell you how many times I hear someone says, you know, I have an uncle, this uncle's racist, or be careful, I just want you to know this person's racist and we're not like that. This person's racist. I get told about racist people. But I never, well, I should say never, I hardly ever hear, I don't talk to my uncle anymore. Why? Because he's racist. Everyone has like, yeah, he's racist, but, but I, I live yeah. with it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with what the president said. Yeah, what he said wasn't my favorite, but <laughs> right. socialism right. sucks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? right. And right. so it's, <clears throat> it's a lot of people aren't fans of racism, but it's not, it's not that important to them. The fight for equality, they go, yeah, look, I'm all for equality, but as long as it doesn't mess with what I have going on. And because racism has always just been normalcy, it's like viewed as bad, but it's not viewed as, as a game changer. People, the audience that comes to see your shows, yeah. are, if you could give them advice of how to help this situation, how to, how to be positive about this, what can they do? What can the, what can the clubs do? What can the audience do uh, 
to kind of make this more of a positive thing? Yeah, I don't want to sound like a dink about this, but the, all the answers are out there. It's just a matter of you want. Like you can go, like there's a, it's a Google search away from just saying the issues that we have as the, the, the black community. Right. It's a Google search away. Yeah, that's true. You can go, anything that you say, you can find out these things. I don't want to have to be, like I want to live. Like people always say, oh, why you have to talk about this? this that. I don't, I hate that people can see me and pretty much know how I voted. I can't tell you how much that bothers me. Oh, interesting. I can't tell you how much that bothers me on some level that people see me and know how I voted. I want that to not be a problem. Right. I want that to not be a thing. I want to be able to go, hey, I'm just voting for this, 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 and this. Right. But until I believe that there's, it's ground zero, and trust me, I, I rank on the Democratic Party if, in my act, yes, I've in seen my that, act, yes. I shred them, and on my podcast, I shred them. I so there's no love loss there, but this is just different. But I I don't like that. But so when people are like, "What can you do? What can I do?" Read up on some stuff if you care about it, and yeah. then just figure out like, "Oh, I didn't know this. I should be conscientious of it. I shouldn't have to pass out a brochure like, hey, 'Hey, I'm coming to your town to perform.'" And, Maybe you might right. want to look at some of right. these things and see what you can do. Like either do or don't. Only thing I say is, I tell my friends this all the time. I go, you aren't lying to me. You are lying to yourself. Oh, because I already know it. I already know what you think when you say, you know, I, he's about even with, with, with Trump and stuff. Like when you say these things to me, like you're in. You're, you might believe that, but what you're telling me, I am telling you that you are lying to yourself when yeah. it comes to a lot of things about him. It's just, just the way it is. That's just the political. When This was blown up a long time ago when we didn't hold. I always say, if you don't hold your own party accountable, it's, it's the same thing within your house. You know, if you don't hold the people in your house accountable, then... Uh, they're going to go out and do things and then you're going to make excuses for them instead right. of when you should have held them accountable in your house. It's the same thing with politics. You got to hold your own party accountable. Right. If you don't hold your party accountable, then this is where, where we're at. And so I'm not, when I'm coming to perform, like I'm coming to push the envelope, whatever the envelope is. <laughs> yes. I, am, yeah. I am going yes. to, I want... I don't want a show that's all applause. I like to, to go out. We were just talking about this before. Uh, like I like to go out and get the crowd because the subjects I talk about and the takes that I have are dark. A lot of them are dark. If you just read my jokes on paper, you might be like, oh, this is... I would agree. This guy, this doesn't sound right. Yeah. But then you see him perform it, and it's with a light mood, but I'm still saying... Dark things. I like to push the envelope. I don't like to play it safe. I like to know what, I like to try to figure out what the audience line is, and then I like to see if they'll let me cross it. Right. I do. Right. No, I, get, it, I, get, I get a big kick out of that. 
I get a big kick out of making an audience laugh when they don't want to laugh and things that they're, they're like, geez, and they left. They was like, were we really laughing at that? And I'm, yeah, you are. Well, and, and I've been a part of that audience with you. Yeah. And I, I applaud you on that. It's, there's no fear. You do not have any fear. Yeah. You go up and you say what you want to say. I, I, have never, I have never acquired that gene. I don't have that. So to watch you do that always blows me away. And, and it, I just find that fascinating that, you know, you can go up and you, I know that line. I know what the line is. You can, you yeah. can as a comic, I can see you pat, going beyond it. And it blows, it's like, it worked. Yeah, it you worked. do some jokes and you, and you see where they're at. You can just tell because you've done your act and you know what's, what's what and, and what you're saying. And then you see where the audience gauge is and then you go, okay, well, let's turn this up. So let's let, turn it up. Let me ask you this. The stage gives you that opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's your mic. You've got the volume, you've got the whole thing. Do you find it difficult then off stage in your personal life, when you're in you're in your hometown, is it like a whole different world? Do you, does does that create a problem for you? Because nope. hey, I'm I just said all I wanted to say last night, and now I'm at the grocery store and I can't say what I want to say. It's made it's made it it's made it better when you when you find like I always say like that person that's got a this is why I always fight for like, like health insurance and quality education. That person, I used to watch my father, he would wake up and then he would sit at the edge of the bed for like 15 minutes, just sitting there, just like, I'm telling you, he was just, John, he was just like this for like 15 minutes every morning because he was mentally preparing to go through a work day yeah. and deal with that. He was mentally preparing. And like the people that have to get up and do something that they don't necessarily love or want to do, to have to do it daily to make ends meet and to, to get the benefit package. Like it might be a horrible job, but they can't leave that horrible job because right. this horrible job gives them these benefits. But what they love to do gives them none of the benefits. <laughs> right. And so therefore right. they have to do that. I and, uh, and you are fortunate enough that we are able to make a living on something that we want Correct. to do. And very few people, or not enough people, not enough. have that. And so when I'm off stage, like I don't think oh, I gotta navigate through. Like I don't, if something rubbed me the wrong way, I'm calling it. Right. I'm calling it like if I lose friends or whatever, so be it. Like battle lines have been drawn. Right. And one thing that I will no longer do is compromise my happiness. Okay. That is, I don't, I leave it. I, I, even with clubs, hey, I'd like to work your club. Hey, I would like to work your club. You don't get back to me. Yeah, I'm leaving on. it. Cause right. I like, that's just, you're just, sending out, uh, you're almost sending out your own rejection letter. Right, right. And what, like, why would I want, yeah. why would I want that? How is that good for my happiness? You know, to kind of wrap this up, I, I have a, I want to talk about the future 
and I want to talk about, you have three kids, mm -hmm. correct? So um, a little confession on my end, I, I feel, I don't know if I have the right to say this, but I feel that things are getting better because of this, and I will tell you why, because I am, my wife and I talked about this, I am just as guilty of, of my parents when I tell a story and I go, well, this black guy, uh, this, this Jewish guy, I, like somehow I, I have to describe that, use that as an adjective. My son will tell a story, and I have no idea I know. Isn't what that race that person is, whatever. And I'm, sometimes I'm shocked to go, oh, I'm, I, that's who you're talking about? I'm fascinated by people that can do that. Do I, your kids, do you, what's the future? What's the hope here? What's the, give me some positive, give me, give me a positive story that's happened recently for you because of race, you know, where it came out, and then where no. are we going? No. Okay. See, that's, that's, I think that's kind of the, the, where we're at, where it's just like, white people right now are just like, give me something, give me something that I can hold on I, to. I thoroughly apologize. No, it's just like, give, tell me something positive. It's true, yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> no, okay. like just, just be your best you. That's, that's, we, that's the positive in it, and that you know that you were blessed because you have find out, like I've learned that these last four years have taught me is that uh, everyone has a logic and a lot of it is not sound logic. You are blessed with sound logic and ability to know that you can evolve and that's what it takes. It's, there's no story of, okay. there's hope. Like, I mean, there is, of course there is, of but course. it's just like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell people like, yeah, and be like, Ooh. no, and, that, and that's okay. And I wouldn't expect you to, you know, <laughs> I, that, and that's good because I wanted to know, is it an honest answer? Is it, can we, is it at least a little better for your kids than it was for you? Oh God, okay. it's great for my kids. Okay. My, ki my kids are mixed though, but they, it's great. And we live in a, a good, uh, a good suburb. And I, I just, I want them to, I almost you know, I did jokes about it, and it's true. Like, I, in some ways, they got it too easy. They don't, they don't have, oh, you know, yeah. you, kids can be self-motivated, but sometimes you, I just feel like with the same thing with stand-up, it's, it's the eating it on stage. It's the rejections that's, that's, that's driving you. It's not the success that you have. The success, is, for me at least, success is not my driving force. It's the rejection. Right. It is when people say no to me, that's what, yeah. what motivates me, not the yeses, the noes. And it's the same thing with like, what struggle are you, are you going through to make you appreciate what you have? Okay. So if everything you, is given to you, given to you, given to you, given to you, and you don't really appreciate what it is that you have, or it makes it harder to appreciate. No I should, question. I shouldn't say, I don't want to speak in such a, a, a general term and put that on everyone, but generally speaking, you know, struggle makes it real. So did you enjoy coming here today? Was this good? 
Hey, man, talking shop with you is always. I would, I would agree. This is one of I, my favorite things. I, I love, can do that anyway. But I love when I get to learn stuff that I didn't know. I've known you for a long time, and there were things that, that I didn't know that I just found out today. So I cannot thank you enough for coming out here today. I appreciate it. Um, you said you're going up to Minneapolis this week. I'll be in Minneapolis. I'm slowly starting to integrate okay. back into the real, but I don't think I'm going. That's a couple of things. I don't think I'm going back to where I was, where I was traveling every week. I don't think that that's okay. going to happen, yeah. especially like not in, in 2020. I'm right. gradually get back into that. Um, and you know what? I also think that I don't think that I'm going to get rid of masks ever. Oh, okay. I think I'm going to be a mask dude. I just oh, see okay. the benefit. You know what's crazy? It's like since March... I was, like, every show, I like to meet and greet and thank people. And then every month or two, I just come down with, like, a two-day nasty cold. Oh, interesting. And yeah. since March, no one in my family has been sick. Oh. I think that's the same for us. No one in my family has been sick. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. <laughs> I decided that that's... You take a positive. There, there's your positive. No, there we go. I there's haven't the been hope. sick. That's the hope they were looking I for. I haven't been sick since March. And I like it, but I'm going back in there. I'm, I got Minneapolis. I'm in Florida, Florida, and end of February. I'm in Vegas, the end of March. Uh, Frankfurt, Illinois, at our friend Dean's place. Yep. Uh, CD and me. Right. I have a new website coming out real soon. I'm good. not sure when this is come be dropped, but uh, KevinBozeman.com for. Okay, good, uh, good, and and we will make sure uh, you know that. Uh, and I have a lot to do with this with the booking, but the Rao likes you so much. Yeah, I we want to get back. you back out here ASAP. Thank you so much for doing uh, this in our first, uh, what is it, Our Voices, Our Town. This is our first one. So yeah. thank you for doing the first one. Thank you for coming out today. Oh, no problem, buddy. So this is good. I love All right. It. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed it.